0: Wonderful to be in the house of God, as Angie said. It's Just a wonderful place to be, and um, I was so happy and excited during worship, just watching. It, it, it's it's such a blessing to see that we we get to be a part of a church that kids feel the joy and the excitement to worship Jesus. I was standing over here, I was, and I was worshiping. I was looking across, and there was a few kids over there just jumping up and down and raising their hands, and it's just it's exciting to see young people like kids. Wanting to worship Jesus and not just kids, but you see adults, you see teenagers, you see college age, you see, you know, people in their young married age group and all these different people. It's just exciting to be a part of a church that has such a wide range of age of people truly celebrating Jesus and being in love with Jesus. And so it really is such a blessing to be a part of this church. This morning, I'm going to share a word with you that I feel like the Lord has placed in my heart, and I do believe that um, it's in season of what God has been speaking to our church. And um, so I'm really, I'm I'm nervous, but I'm also thankful that God would, you know, would speak to us, that God would continue to lead and guide us as He has done so well and so much in our church. And um, as I was preparing this, this message and I was praying through what the Lord had me to say, I was thinking about, I was actually playing with my kids, and um, one of the things that we were playing and that my kids love to play often is the game hide and seek Everybody know it Everybody played it when you were a little kid My kids love that game right now. They don't really get the game very well They think they should scream when I go look for them So uh, it's really easy to find them, but it is a lot of fun um, And you know how the game works a group of people go hide and one person counts and they'll count to whatever number that is Whether it's 5 10 or 20 um, And then the the famous words they say is Ready or not, here I come, right? And I was thinking about that as I was playing this game with my kids, and I was thinking about it in spiritual terms. that The truth is, is that ready or not, Jesus is coming one day. That is the reality, and that is the truth, that whether you're ready or not, Jesus will come. And he is going to come, and he's going to come first to rapture his church, to take up his church to him. And so as Christians and as, as followers of Jesus, it's, it is extremely important for us to actually look at this, and do examine this. And you won't hear a lot of this stuff preached in many churches many times because a lot of people don't want to touch that. It's like, well, that's the, you know, the end time stuff and it kind of frightens us. But I'm very thankful that, uh, in our church that's not the case. And I'm thankful that Pastor Lee has so, for so many years, really sewed into us that it could be today and live ready. Live like Jesus is coming, and even last week, if you haven't heard it, and I would encourage you to go back. Last week he started a series really regarding this about how, um and he talked a lot about last week about really the antichrist, but the antichrist spirit that's in the wor- the world today that's been at work from the beginning, and how God and the antichrist spirit and the antichrist are on a collision course, and in the end, in a moment, Jesus will win it all. But history is not just random things happening or repetitive things happening; it has an end and has a point that's going somewhere, right? Or as beginning and has a point; it's going somewhere, and it's. Going Going to that head on battle where Satan takes on Jesus and Jesus just dominates him. Better said, Jesus takes on Satan and just makes a fool of him in so many ways. And so he really started a series last week regarding that and he's gonna continue that. And I just as I was praying, I just felt the Lord saying, I want you to stay in the same vein. I want you to stay in the same vein. So I just felt the need to continue this, not to say anything verbatim, the exact same things as Pastor Lee, but really for us to uh, stay in that same direction just as Christians and as disciples to follow Jesus and to say, Lord, we want to be ready. And so I'm going to speak to us really about that. Really, as disciples today, what does it mean to be ready? And how are we to be ready as disciples of Jesus? When I talk about disciples, I'm really meaning people who follow Jesus who are being changed by Jesus and who are committed to the mission Jesus has given his church. People who have a heart that go with Jesus. They're with Jesus in relationship. And as they follow him, they submit their lives to him. And as they're with him, they're changed by him because his grace goes to work in their lives. And as they changed, they give their life for Jesus' purposes in the earth and not just their own. And that is what we're talking about. We're talking about a disciple. How does a disciple begin to walk in, in such a way that we live ready? And so I do want to talk to us this morning about ready or not Jesus is coming. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Luke. Um and you can go there. We're going to go to Luke twelve. And this is a very common uh well, it's it's a passage you've probably read many times, um, but it, it you know, when you read the words of Jesus, sometimes Jesus actually many times Jesus is really uh stern. You know, he, a lot of things he says, it's like, here's a line in the sand and he just says it as is. And I think it's important for us to know that before we read this passage, this is not a conversation with lost people. It's not a conversation with the Pharisees. It's not a conversation even with uh, people who weren't part of his camp. It's part, it's, it's a conversation with his disciples, with his people. With the people who follow him. And so even as we come into this room today and we confess, if you're born again in, in this room today, you are a disciple of Jesus and you are confessing to be a follower of Jesus. And you're confessing to love him and to follow all those sort of things. And so we need to take these words and we need to take them and really listen to them and allow them to bear weight on our hearts and soul and and, and let them affect us. I will say this: that as we go through it, I'm going to reference a good bit to the grace of God, because when you hear a sermon maybe regarding this about being uh, a good, faithful servant of Jesus, the flesh can be aroused, and the flesh can be excited, and the flesh can be like, "Let's go do some stuff." And so I'm going to point you very much to grace, really being the answer to all this. But I do want the scriptures to actually weigh and, and weigh on us, and bear us, and, and have some um, truth to our lives. So we're going to start in verse 35, and we'll read to 48. And says, in verse thirty five, Dress, stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may be they may be opened, open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those whose servants whom the Master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not have left the house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his house to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes." Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready to act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required and from him to whom they entrusted much they will demand the more so dear heavenly father lord just be with us god as we sit under your word god i pray lord that everything that would come out of my mouth would be your word Lord, this is your word, and I just ask, God, that it would have its full effect on us, God, and that we would submit our lives to it, God, because your word is the authority of our lives, not us. We cannot dictate what our lives are to be. Your word is to dictate how our lives should be, and I pray that we would surrender to that, and that we would learn grace so that we can surrender to the word of God. And so, Lord, be with our hearts, be with our heads and our our ears, God, as we hear, God, let everything that you want to be said, God, just come out of my mouth and help me, God. Give me great grace and help me, Lord, in my weakness. In Jesus' name, amen. So from this passage, what we're really going to do is we're just going to look at two things. We're going to break it up in two different points. We're going to say point number one from paragraph number one and point number two from paragraph number two. So very simple. And what I want to say is just very clear what a disciple is supposed to do. To live ready for Jesus. it is is very simple. And so the first thing I want to pull out is really just the first paragraph, and we'll look at it more, but the first paragraph I want to make this statement from the get-go is this, is that a disciple lives ready for Jesus' coming. That really shouldn't be that surprise. You should be able to read this passage and get that idea yourself, but the truth is, is what you see is that as disciples, as servants of Jesus Christ, we are to live ready for Jesus' coming, Right? Or the, or the rapture of the church, let's say that, the rapture of the church. We are to live ready for that. And, and, and I know that that's something that we would all shake our heads to, right? This is what Christians do. We all are familiar with Christian terminology and Christian things, and yes, we, we agree to that. But it's actually a little bit harder than, than, than said than done, right? We find ourselves, if we're being brutally honest, many of us not really living ready for the return of Jesus or the rapture of the church, because we find ourselves many times just distracted. I mean, if we can be honest with one another and not pretend that we're all these perfect little Christians in the room, because we're not. We find ourselves really struggling. But Jesus does call us in this passage very clearly that as the disciples, someone is falling. Because remember, he's talking to his disciples that we are to live in such a way that is ready. But distractions come. And there's all sort of things. And it's really, you know, we could say it's not hard. You look at the, the Western church or the American church and, man, distractions are everywhere. Many of our lives are, are more defined by our interest in uh, the economy or our interest in politics, or our interest in sports, or our interest in whatever you fill in the blank for yourself. And if someone asks you, what is this person about? They may say, well, they're about this. And it has nothing to do with the return of Jesus. It has nothing to do with the things of God. I pray that's not the case, but sometimes that is the case for many of us. But the beautiful thing is that there's grace and mercy and there's the heart where we can say, God, change me. Make your 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 your, the rapture of the church and you coming back to get us to become a reality in my life And so when you read this passage, you see very two things that I think are very clear in this passage I think you see this you see jesus calling his disciples to have a reality Of his coming for the church and a readiness a reality and a readiness. And he does it in this way. What he does is he gives you four different images right off the back in this paragraph. And I want to just go through these images very quickly. But he goes through these images. And the first image that he uses, he says what? Be dressed and ready. Or be dressed, stay dressed for action. And the King James says, "Girded up their loins, right? If you have the King James in here, you'll read that. Many of us don't talk about it like that. We don't speak like that. But it's actually a really great translation. Because that's actually what it does mean, verbatim. It really means to gird up your loins. And this is a callback to Exodus chapter 12, where, where God would call the Israelites out of Egypt. He told them in Exodus chapter 12, be ready. And what they would do is they'd wear these long tunics, and they would... Pull up the tunic and tie it underneath their belt so that they could be ready to move at any moment. And that's essentially what God said to Israel in Exodus chapter 12. Be ready because I'm calling you out of Egypt. And Jesus is saying for his disciples, be ready. Stay dressed for action. Live in such a way because I am going to come and take you out. And so disciples, be ready. Stay dressed. Don't don't be lackadaisical. Don't be falling asleep. Don't be, you know, you imagine if you, you know, you came and you're, you go to a business meeting, and you're supposed to show up and you just show up in like in your PJs and you still got your hair all crazy and stuff like that. Uh, that this is like, that's exactly what he's telling us not to do. We are heading for one of the greatest moments in all of the history of the world when Jesus comes to rapture his church. And so if anything, let us be ready. Let us be dressed, our lives dressed and ready in such a way that when he comes, we know and we're prepared for it. The second image he gives in this paragraph is he gives the image of a lamp burning, right? He says, what does he say? Keep your lamps burning. This is a beautiful picture too, because we know what the word of God is, is, is compared to in scripture, right? The word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a, a light unto my path. Jesus is very much calling his disciples, stay in the word, be, let the word guide you, because you, we're living in dark times. You will live in dark times, church. Disciples, you will live in dark times. What do you need? You need the lamp of God. You need the light unto your feet and to know what's going on in the world, to understand the world. It is not Fox News or CNN that gives you the answer. It's the word of God that gives us the answer. And so as Christians in the world today, to live ready, to understand what's happening in the world, the greatest thing you can really do is to get into the Bible and understand how Jesus says, live ready. That's the truth. And so part of this, when he's talking about the lamp until my feet, or the lamp, keep our lamps burning, very much is also a picture of the Holy Spirit. Stay filled with the Spirit of God. The oil, right? Stay filled with the Spirit. Don't let your, don't let your life become a life that is no longer walking in the Spirit of God. But be filled with the Spirit, as Ephesians 5 talks about. He says, keep on being filled, is what Ephesians says, essentially. And so we are called to be filled with the Spirit so that we can even understand the truth of the Scriptures. So that we understand what's happening around us. So Jesus, again, just calling them to this place of have this reality that he's coming. And look, you can't have a reality of the return of the rapture of the church without the word of God. It's the word of God. It's illuminated in our hearts. It, it, it creates this reality. It works within us about the truth that Jesus is coming again. The third image that he gives is the wedding, right? You see in there it talks about how... A master goes away, um, and the servant is waiting for him. All right. And the master goes to a wedding feast, and the servant is waiting. And the reason why he says it like this is because in that day and age, a wedding would have a start date, but it didn't have an end date. So it could be a day, but it also could be two weeks. That would be that would be pretty incredible, right? Two weeks. Um, It makes it actually puts you into context when Jesus turned the water right into wine. Like the the fact is, like there, it's that might have been two weeks. You know, you never know. So the, reality, the point being is that he's saying it like this because you, the, the servant back home would never know when the master was coming. He just knew, hey, he went to a wedding. It could be a day. It could be two days. And what the servant's job was is to be, make sure that everything was ready, peeking through the window. Is he coming? Is he coming? Is everything set? Everything's good? Okay. Oh, oh, oh wait. This is, and so they scrub the floor, whatever it might be. The servant was always looking and ready and waiting that the master is coming. And so all of this, what Jesus is doing, is just giving this major call for us as disciples to say, live in such a way that you have the reality of the return of Jesus for his church. Again, I know that's not easy, because we have a thousand different voices. And if we're, if we're being honest with ourselves, most of us, you know, and, and I'm not, this isn't to say that you shouldn't have a phone, but the point being is that we're usually, most of our worldview is filtered through sliding on a screen four to six hours a day or whatever it might be for the young people we've looked it up it's like 10 hours a day just i mean think about it and so the world it's hard to really grasp that he's coming because the world's not telling us that you're not going to work and hearing jesus coming back are you where do you hear it? the only place you really hear it is the church and that would make sense and so we have to keep ourselves ready and have the reality of this. Jesus then gives another uh, example here of uh, another picture. And he uses the picture in verses uh, 30, I believe it's 39. Or before that, actually. This is, well, we'll read 39. It says 39, it says this, he gives a fourth image. In this image, he says this, is that the master of house, but if this, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not re- expect. And so, essentially, he's very simple. He's just saying, hey, look, if you knew a thief was coming, you'd be ready, right? You, you would have your, many of you, if you knew a thief was coming, you'd probably put some things out around your house. Maybe, have you ever seen Home Alone? He knew the thieves were coming, right? <laughs> steps on the glass, steps on the nail, grabs all those pranks. It's a great movie. But, like, he knew this was coming. And this is how we would live our lives. But this is what he says. He says, you don't know. You don't know. But he says, be ready. He says, be ready. And, and, and I know this might not, this could, this could step on toes, but the, the truth is Jesus is not calling you to know every little detail and try to calculate the day and the hour when Jesus is returning. What he is concerned with is if you're living ready. It's more important to live ready for the return of Jesus and the rapture of the church than it is to know every little thing. What great, what amazing thing if you could have all the knowledge of the world and all the understanding of scripture and yet not live in such a way That actually shows you're ready. Again, or I'll say, I'm not trying to say you shouldn't study the Bible to understand when Christ is coming back, but Jesus says in Matthew 24 himself, no one knows the day nor hour, not the Son, but only the Father. So if we think we we can take Jesus' word and just discard them, and that's speaking of the rapture in Matthew 24, you can go look at it. But if you think we can just discard that, then um You know go ahead, but i'm just telling you the more important thing that jesus concerned is is that you live in such a way That is so ready for jesus But here's the beautiful thing about this when you read this scripture verses 37 to uh, 38 and talk about this. What does it say that those he finds awake are what? They're blessed They're blessed It's not just that we have to stay awake just because we want to stay awake or, or be ready just to be ready. But we actually are blessed in the end. And that is a beautiful thing. Jesus says they will be happy that they were ready. You will be happy. It is not a waste of time to stay prepared for the coming of Jesus. It is absolutely essential to our Christian life. And it is absolutely important. And it is not a waste of time. It is a great thing. Not only that, but the scripture says right here, what does it say the master will do? It says the master will take off his garments and he will dress himself as a servant and begin to serve his servants. I'm not going to pretend to say I know, understand that fully, but I don't know if that means when Jesus comes back and he raptures us, is he going to start serving us in heaven? I don't know. But I know he did it on earth in John chapter, or John chapter 13 with his disciples. I know he did that and I know that it's a promise for those who are awake and are ready and who have the reality of Jesus coming back and the readiness of Jesus coming back. And so for us, the questions we have to really ask ourselves is what is keeping us from being awake? What are the distractions in your life? Every individual in here will be different. We can't determine, you know, this is, you know, I can just say, what's well, this, this, and this. It all depends on your own life. Where are you? What keeps you from the a great reality of Jesus' return? And maybe you don't, maybe you're not distracted. Maybe you are awake to this truth. But I, if I'll be honest with you, even, even as somebody who works in the church, I'm distracted often. I'm distracted that Jesus is coming back for the rapture, with the rapture to take his church up. And I, and I know that there are things in my life that pull me away and make me fall asleep to this truth. While Jesus is saying, don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. And y'all, much of the Western church, much of the Christian church is asleep. Because they're not living in such a way that shows uh, Jesus is coming back. And so for us, it is our responsibility to be ready, to have the reality, um, to live in such a way that is so concerned with this. And it is a blessing. All of it is a blessing. But I, I, I could understand say, so, well, well how, do I, how do I do that? Because I do think sometimes we, we make these Christian statements and it's like, okay, well, what do you do? And this is where I believe grace is, if you don't have grace, an understanding of biblical grace with this, you will misunderstand how to be ready. You will maybe start looking, you know, maybe you'll try to look at every news source and try to figure out every little detail. And and not that that's entirely wrong, but you get so caught up in that and then you're no longer living ready. But this is, I want to show you how grace teaches you to live ready for the coming of Jesus. If you turn with me to uh, Titus chapter 2, I'll read this to you. Grace chapter 2. I'm not grace chapter (laughs) 2. Well, Titus chapter 2. Verse 11 talks about the grace of god and what the grace of god does And so if you may be sitting here and you're saying I want to be ready And I want to have a reality of the return of jesus. I want that in my life But I don't really have that right now. Here's what i'm going to tell you to do. I'm going to tell you Call on the grace of god to abound to your life Because this is what it says verse 11 says chapter 2 says for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation for all people correct we are born again in here today. What is grace doing? Grace is training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, maybe those things that are distracting you, right? To, to uh, deny those things, renounce those things, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the rapture of the church. But also, verse 13 is so important. This is what grace teaches us. It teaches us to wait for our blessed hope, which is the rapture of the church, it teaches us that the appearing of the, uh, the to, to wait for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in other words, if you want to have a true, understand, a, a true desire and a reality of Jesus' coming to rapture his church, what do you need? You need an abundance of grace. Because what does grace do? Grace teaches you and reminds you, he's coming. He's coming to get you. He's coming. Oh God, I, I'm just, I, I live so distracted. God, give me your grace grace and grace teaches grace is not something that is just just as simply god forgives me that is true but grace in this in this scripture teaches that grace is at work in your life right now trying to give you a heart that's pulling towards heaven saying oh he's coming again and the beauty of heaven and the joy of heaven and the excitement of heaven to be with god is growing in you because grace is at work in your very life and so for the Christian in here today who's who's saying, Man, I struggle, I am distracted, I don't have that reality often, oh just run to the grace of God with everything in you, and He will and it will teach you. The goodness of God, the grace of God will teach you. Grace will teach you to live ready. Grace will teach you, give you the reality of that truth. And so I'm holding to that myself. I'm holding to that scripture this scripture to me is so important for my christian life in every way because i understand the need and understanding of grace for me to have any grasp or reality of jesus coming again and so for the first paragraph essentially it's saying this a disciple lives ready for the second for the uh, jesus coming to rapture his church and that is done the only way that'll be done is by the grace of god by the grace of god the second thing is in the second paragraph and um, we'll jump into this. But when you end that, set, that first paragraph, you might look and you might say, okay, well, you're, you're saying a lot about being ready and living ready. And what does that look like? Grace teaches us. I'll say this very clearly. I think the second paragraph anf- answers this. What does it look like then? What is my life actioned out like that is living in such a way that's ready for the return? Because I want to be awake to his return. I want to have a reality of his return. I want all of those sort of things. But when that happens when the reality and i'm awake and i'm ready for it what will it actually look like on a day to day basis and this is where i believe this 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 part speaks to that very clearly um the second thing is this is that a disciple lives doing till the till jesus comes a disciple lives doing till jesus comes so in this conversation when jesus deals with the first paragraph peter then begins to have a con- ask jesus a question he says are you telling this parable 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 for all of us or for some right and Jesus doesn't really answer him directly. He just gives another parable. And this parable, when you read this, is pretty, is pretty tough. When you read it, right, you've got, you've got some things in there talking about a man that's going to be dismembered, cut into pieces, and thrown away with the unfaithful. Um, in Matthew, the the, the cross-reference of this says that they'll be thrown away where there's gnashing of teeth. Um, so clearly that's speaking of hell. And so this is a pretty rough parable. But the point being is sometimes when we read these parables, what we do is we read the parables of Jesus, and we try to like take every little thing and say, this means this, and this means this, and this means this. But the point of a parable is just to give a picture of something. It's to grab one big idea. And what is the big idea that it's trying to communicate? And when you read this parable, what you find is the parable of faithful versus unfaithful. It's really what it is. Faithful versus unfaithful. And so when you read it, what you see is you see the picture of the faithful. It says that who then is faithful, right? A faithful disciple is this. Is one who is, they're faithful and they're wise. And what are they doing? It says they are, were found doing Um, When the when the master came back, they were set over his household and they were found doing they gave portions of food at the proper time Meaning the people that they they were with in the house. They took care of them. They did everything the master wanted. In other words, they did what the master wanted They were faithful. They were doing they concerned themselves with what concerned the master That is a question we have to ask ourselves. Are we concerned with the things that concerns jesus Again, this scripture it 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 does it, it hits and it's supposed to jesus jesus uh, sometimes we want to water down Jesus' words because it's uncomfortable to our version of christianity but this is his word and i'm going to get and I'll, i'll just to bring this into a little clarity too this is not me in any way teaching uh work salvation luke chapter 18 just a few chapters over jesus makes it very clear there is no way your works will save you the publican and the tax collector, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and he's saying, oh, I'm not like that tax collector. Jesus says, that man's not righteousness. That man who says, God, help me, is the one who's, who has righteousness. So we have to understand there's, t- these, there's still a truth. The truth of that our righteousness only comes from Jesus. But there is the truth that we are called to faithfulness. We're not called to a Christianity that is just about, I can just do whatever I want. You know, just live however I want. And so this parable's whole point is faithful versus unfaithful. And when you look at the unfaithful, you see, you know, he gets three different versions of unfaithfulness. First version is the guy who, like, he knew exactly what Jesus wanted or, or the master wanted him to do. And he did the opposite. Like, he he abused the people that he was supposed to take care of. He he, he ruled the house in such a way he, that he would use the expense and everything that he was put in charge of for his own selfish ways and his own selfish ambitions. And then there was the other the story of the servant there where maybe he knew what to do. He just didn't do it. Just didn't do it. I don't care. I'm, I'm not concerned with those things. I have no concern for it. And maybe then it's the last one where he says, this guy just didn't even know. But guess what? He still gets a beating. And the point being, again, is all this, it's faithful versus unfaithful. And I would imagine that everybody in this room would say right now, I don't want to be any of the other unfaithfuls. If we are trying to uh, if, if we're trying to create some type of Christianity that allows for me to be unfaithful to Jesus, then we've really missed what Christianity is. If we've tried to create some version of Christianity that just says, you know, I really don't have to be faithful. You know, I, I'm a good being that last guy. That, that's not what Jesus is trying to say. No, don't be them. Don't live that way. This isn't what I want. What I want is I want my people to be wise and faithful that when I come back, I will see that they were doing what I asked them to do. They were concerned with what I was concerned with. It's very much a picture, you know, you have a parent that tells their child, hey, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to come back. I may be back at five or six. Who knows? I'm not sure what time I'm going to come back, but have the room ready. Have the house cleaned, and the parent comes back, and you could see you could you could basically envision this whole all four of these. One of them had everything done. The other kid, right, completely destroyed the house even more, right. The third knew exactly what to do. I just didn't feel like doing it. The fourth, I didn't hear you. I was too busy on my video games or whatever it might be, right. I just didn't hear you. And this is this is this. We can find ourselves in a trap, and Jesus is not saying it's not so much I'm trying to say, okay, you're going to lose your salvation. That's not it. It's the call to faithfulness. It's the call to Jesus. It's the call to say the, the, the type of Christianity that we are called to live and that I'm called to live is one that lives in a faithful manner to Jesus because he's worthy, because he's going to bless us, because he died for me, because he did everything that I might have life. I want to live in a manner that he will be glorified. Our response to the gospel ought to be a desire to please Jesus. If our response to the gospel is, thanks, I'll get on with my life, but thanks, then we really misunderstood the gospel. The gospel is not simply about me, just, okay, now I'm good. I don't have to, the Christian life doesn't matter. It's about God, you're so beautiful. You sent your son and you died and you took the punishment of my sin. You took the full weight of it all. And you bore your back where your bones were exposed. You took the punishment that no man could endure in any way. And now this truth is so real to me. I want to be so faithful to you, God. I want to love you. I want to run for you. I want to live for you. That's what he's calling us. That's it. That's the kind of heart. And so when you see this, it's like, okay, so what are, what are we to do, right? And I was thinking when I was reading this passage, you see, what, is the ask, or what does the master ask the servant or the manager to do in this passage? He says what? He says, take care of, see if you get it, take care of the the house, the household, right? Take care of the household. What did the other servants not do? Not take care of the house. In the scripture, Timothy, or Paul writes to Timothy, he says, he says this, "Um, I'm writing to you, Timothy, so that you understand how you should act in the household of God. And what? what i'm about to pull out with this is to say this isn't the end all of everything there's many things that we would say we should be found doing when jesus returns but in this context and in this scripture i'll say it like this one of the things that we ought to be found doing when jesus returns and comes for his church is to care for the church what was he asked to do take care of the house what is jesus asking us to do church not take care of a building not (laughs) No agenda there. We're we're doing the remodel. Not just to take care of a building, but to take care of each other. To live in such a way that when Jesus says, he comes back and said, you washed his feet. The guy that hurt you. He's in the body with you. He's in the house and he was trying to, and he, he hurt you and you know what you did? You washed his feet and you forgave him and you helped him and you sought his betterment. Or, You know, Jesus comes back and says, You're such a faithful servant. Thank you for your faithfulness. I'm going to serve you because when that person in the body was struggling, you sacrificed time of your week, even though you didn't want to and it was very difficult to do. You did it. You cared for my sheep, you cared for my body, you loved my body. And because of that, I love you. You are so beautiful, you are faithful, you are wise. For taking care of the body of christ I was thinking about this. What are some of the things that jesus wants in the church that we ought to be striving for If we are concerned with jesus and how he wants his household, we should probably ask. Well, what do you want in your church? Right not what what do I want in the church? I want this type of preaching or this type of worship or this type of or this these flags or not these flags or this podium Not those questions. The question should be jesus. What concerns you in your household? And Jesus says very clearly all throughout Scripture what concerns him in his household. And I'll just say some of these things. And there's, you, you could do this as a homework assignment if you wanted to go into the Bible and find out what Jesus says he wants in his church. You can use the epistles for that, you can use any of it. But it's it's so much so much in there. But this is what Jesus wants in his church. Ephesians four one through three says, "I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called." What is that? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another. We're bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace What does jesus want in this church? He wants unity He wants love sacrificial love Not american version of of love sacrificial love And so the call for us you want to be a wise and faithful manager that when jesus comes back the call is this Do whatever it takes to maintain unity in this church If you have issues with people in this body Do not let them linger any longer. Deal with them because Jesus is coming. And when he comes, he's going to say, oh, you were faithful and wise. You didn't allow bitterness to stay in your heart. You didn't allow this this disunity to spread throughout the whole body. And you fought to see my body be healthy. You fought to see that sickness wouldn't get in the body. Jesus says not only that, but he says love, right? He says, what does he say in this In Ephesians, he talks about love. But in John 13, he says, what is this? The new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also to love one another. And by this, all men will know you're my disciples. What does he want in the house? Love. And what kind of love? The love that Jesus had for us. My gosh, none of us can do that. But we're going to get to that part. But the truth is, is he's calling us to a, a love that is so sacrificial. So you can, are you concerned, disciple of Jesus, are you concerned with doing, are you concerned with, with living a life out of love for Jesus and being faithful and wise till he returns? Start giving sacrificial love for one another. Again, it won't be fun to the flesh, but oh, it will please your Savior. It'll please your King, and he'll be so, his heart will be filled with joy. I said this to somebody yesterday. I truly believe that the thing that makes Jesus so happy is when he sees you love each other. Oh, I, when we love each other, Jesus is so happy. It's such a beautiful thing. And don't you want to make Jesus happy? Don't, don't you like love to make your spouse happy if you're married? It's a joy. It's fun to make Jesus happy. What a blessing. What an opportunity. Not only that, what else? are some other things Jesus wants to have in his household. Just straight up, he wants his spiritual gifts to be used. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, okay, only the pastors are responsible For taking care of the household i get that i get how people can say okay well that's just about pastors no there's enough in here to say everybody is called to serve in the body of christ in a way that is to take care of the house of god and this is one way you can do it is by using the spiritual gifts that jesus has given you through the holy spirit first corinthians 12 makes it very clear that to each one of us is given the manifestation of the spirit for what the common good or for the betterment and of this house so you have gifts in here every one of you have gifts that god has given you to use for this body to strengthen each other to love each other to help each other who are struggling the gift we, we saw some of it already happen today the gifts of these of the worship team the gifts of the people that they gave the words today so many different things we are called to use them this is what Jesus has for us. First Peter says the same thing as to each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace in your life. And so you want to live in a way as a wise and faithful uh, disciple or a manager of the house. Then live give, using your spiritual gifts, not for your own glory and your own name and your own reputation, but use them for the betterment of each other. So if you have the gift of faith, use the gift of faith. If you have the gift of service, use the gift of service. If you can preach or teach or whatever it might be, whatever it is that God has given you, or service, however it might be, let God use it. And he's like, you care about my house. You cared that when I would come back, I'd find a house well. I'll give two more and then I'll move on because we could do this all day, but we're not. Prayer. Jesus, how does he describe his house? He says in Matthew 21, 13, he says, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You want to take care of the house of God? You want to be a wise and faithful servant? When Jesus comes back, this is what it means to live ready, guys. Be a part of prayer. And so I'm, I, I am by no means saying, I'm going to sit here and tell you, okay. Now, if you're not at the prayer meeting, I'm mad at you. But I am telling you, Jesus wanted his house to be a house of prayer. So, Maybe, I'm not, look, if you're not there every time, okay. That's not what we're getting at. We're not going with legalism, but we are saying Jesus, it concerns him for the house to be a house of prayer. Not only that in Ben Timothy, Paul writes, he desires that prayer would be for men everywhere. In other words, Jesus' house would be a house of prayer. Let prayer be a priority in our lives. Let prayer with the saints of God be a priority in our lives. And so, prayer on a Sunday night is not just another service. And it's not legalism to go. It's this. I care about your house, God. And I want to be found faithful and wise. So I go to pray because I care about what you want in your house. Do you see the difference? It's not about a law. It's about giving Jesus what he wants, what makes him happy, what he loves and what he wants for his household that he wants us find doing when we come. And then lastly, this one is so simple, but it's so true, is Jesus so badly wants us to what? Encourage and exhort one another when, when he comes back. First Thessalonians five eleven, which is talking about his actual coming, is there it says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Hebrews three thirteen says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. It won't always be this way. Jesus is going to come, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews ten twenty five. Let's not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And so what are we called to? If we are concerned with Jesus and what he wants, because it's, again, it's his house. What should concern us? Encouraging each other. Looking for people in this room right now who are battling discouragement. There are people who are battling discouragement. Young, guy, young man, last night at 10.30, I think, around 10.30 p.m., texted me and a couple of youth boys and said, I'm battling depression. And two of those young other teenagers began to pray for him. They responded to him. You know what they did? took care of jesus house now this is what we're called to this is the beauty of it It, it, i hope you see it's not it's not this grueling like i don't just gonna cut me off is he gonna make me dismember me no no it's just this i want to be faithful because he is beautiful and he is lovely and he calls us to this life and so for us, it's very simple in this room, is that we are called to live away, live in such a way that is so concerned with Jesus' household, just as this servant, this manager, was concerned for Jesus' household, that when Jesus came back, he said, this one is blessed and he's found faithful and wise. I pray that we as disciples would live like that until Jesus comes, with such a love for one another. And so I just, I, as I was praying through this, I was thinking... I, I'm, I'm calling what i'm saying is i'm essentially calling all of us to a life that is supernatural that you and i can't do like even the first part right you can't make yourself have a reality of the rapture it has to be grace you can't make yourself strive for unity when it hurts you can't make yourself live sacrificial love like first john of john 13 you can't you can't even you can't even use your own spiritual gifts God has to give those to you. And so this is the truth, is that all of this is tied up in the grace of God. All of it. Peter says, and, and I'll just, I'll read it to you, but this is what Peter says. He says, in the last days, the Lord will come like a thief in the night and the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and so forth. He, but he says, as you wait for the day of the Lord, haste! and hasten is coming, because of the day, the heavens will dissolve like fire and he goes on, but he tells them, he says, therefore, friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight and at peace. I can't do that. Also, regard the patience of our Lord as the salvation, just as our dear brother Paul is saying. And basically what he says here is he begins to talk about how Paul is saying some things that are hard to understand, but stay with them. They're good. But then he closes where he says, even though the end, all the end is coming, the rapture of the church is coming, he says, therefore, dear, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard. So that you're not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. And this is his answer to everything. If you're going to be faithful, a faithful disciple, someone who lives doing until Jesus returns, this is what he says. Because he, he does give us things. He says, look, live in such a way that honors God. We can't do that. It says in verse 18, he said, this is his answer. But grow in grace. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior the answer to be a, 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 a disciple that's doing and faithful in this hour is not hard sermons that make you feel guilty. It's understanding your desperate need for the grace of God to grow in your life so that you have the ability to actually do all that scripture calls us to be and do. I was talking to a pastor one time and he's of a different denomination. And we we're having this conversation, and, in this conversation, I agreed with much of what he said, and we disagreed with each other too. And he said to me, he said, you know, Felix, I don't believe that we are, we're, we are able to do what the scriptures call us to do, and that the point of scripture is to show us that we are failures and, that, and, and just point us to Jesus. Amen. I agree. Don't disagree with that at all. But it, it, but it led to the place where I said, well, do you believe we're supposed to obey? Can we obey then? And he said, I don't believe so. And, and he said, basically, just every time you sin, just fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus. I agree with that, too. But what I, what I came away with as we were talking about it, I, I just said, you know, you speak of grace so well, because he loves grace. He talks about grace a lot. You speak of grace, and you speak of how grace is so glorious to save us, which it is. Grace of God has saved us, right? And no man can boast. It's the grace of God by faith, right? It's not that we can boast in it but you you, you speak of it so well about how grace saves us, but it's like you don't have the belief that grace is even stronger to make me something I'm not. And that's what I believe now more than I ever have before. That the, The pride that I have and the jealousy and the anger and these things that I battle, I believe grace is greater so that I can put away the pride and the jealousy and the anger and serve people in the church that maybe my pride doesn 't want to let me serve. I believe grace can do that, and i just I just looked at him and I just thought what a what a miserable Christian life you know because it 's like there 's no power to, to actually do you there 's a joy in doing there 's a joy in being able to live for your master and love him and serve him in such a way. But the only means by which it happens is the grace of God. And so I I, I simply like believe with all my heart, grace is enough. Grace is sufficient. Grace is what I know. Grace is what will carry me. Grace is what will make me. Grace will get me to be what I can't make myself to be. Grace will make me a faithful and wise disciple that is doing. Not me. And so church, I just say to you very simply, and musicians, you can come up Is that for us in here today, there is a call to faithfulness. There is a call to live in such a way that when Jesus comes, what he finds in your life is the reality of his return. That he's going to in your readiness for that, but also a life that is doing and living out what he wants for his church, caring for his church. But the only means by which you'll ever, ever have any success at this is by grace working in you. And so what, is it, what, is it, what does it mean for me? It just, it just means I just fall on my knees. Oh, give me the abundance of grace today. Where my struggle is, your grace take over. Where my weakness is, let your grace overwhelm me. Where I'm broken, oh God, your grace happen. I'll close with this last thought. It says in the ending of the story, which we all heard this verse before. He says, everyone to, much has, to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him, to whom they entrusted, they will demand the more. And as I read that, you know, if you're familiar with Spider-Man, the old Spider-Man, when Ben Parker tells Peter Parker, he says, with great power comes great responsibility. He stole it from Jesus, just reworded it, essentially. But that's essentially what he's saying, is that Jesus has invested so much into us. Church, he's invested in you. His justification he gave you, the righteousness that he gives you, the, the the holiness that now you have that you did not have on your own, the cleansliness from the blood of the, the blood of Jesus has made you as white as snow. The new life He's given you, the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, the new creation that you are. We could go on and on of the benefits of the gospel, but there's so many benefits of the gospel that Jesus has invested everything in you. And don't you want Him to get as much out of you as He can? Not because you're afraid that He's this fearful person, but because you love Him. And you want to be faithful and you want to honor him and you want to live for him because all of those benefits that he gives you is glorious. He's adopted you. He's made you his child. So you'll never have to worry about what's, you know, what are you you going to eat anything? He's going to take care of you. The glory of our Jesus and the beauty of our Jesus and all that he's done should drive us to a place that like, God, I want to be faithful. And one way to live faithful right now until the return of Jesus is to take care of his household. Is to love one another is to serve one another, to give our lives for one another and to pour our lives out in such a way. And so let us give Jesus what he deserves. Let us give him back what he deserves. And you can go to Matthew 25 if you want to see more parables regarding these topics. But Jesus has put so much in us. And I would even go so far to say, y'all, not just you as an individual, but us as a church. Jesus has given us so much here. It is incredible. And I want Jesus to get everything out of this church that He he wants. That we as a church at First New Testament would even be found faithful and say, God, we did everything we knew that You would have everything out of us. I don't want it to just be that Pastor Lee goes and that's what it is. I want it to be that God uses our church. That He looks upon our church and says, Oh, goodness, the faithfulness. They, They stay faithful. They loved me. And it was all because I loved them first. We know that. But truthfully, this church... They were faithful. And they gave me what I wanted. They took care of the body of Christ all around this world. Not just because they could send a pastor out. Though that's a big part of it right now. But what happens in 15 years when Pastor Lee decides, you know, he's retiring from pastoring, whatever it might be. Will we stop blessing other churches? Or we, still will, or we will still say, God, you've invested in us. We want to be a blessing to other churches. We want to impact the nation. We want to impact their city. We want to impact our state. We don't want to just be satisfied with just all about me. So Jesus has given much in you. He's poured his life into everything that we needed. Let's give back to him everything he wants. We're going to do something a little different today in closing. We're going to take communion together and I think it's fitting because I believe communion, just for us to understand this that communion really is a past present and a future thing. I'm sitting with a group of men this last week and we were talking about the Lord's Supper and we are talking about communion and we are talking about how beautiful it is and how sometimes we just, you know, tradition it. Make it tradition. More rush over, it. but really, when you take communion, and in Mark chapter fourteen, when he talks, he takes communion with his disciples. He talks about to do this in remembrance, right? So it's a past thing. We remember the death, but it's also a present thing because it's also our sins. We pray that our sins would be forgiven when we do that. So we're presently saying, "God, forgive me of our sins," and so our sins are forgiven. But it's also, he says, "I will not drink of this wine until I enter into the kingdom again." In other words. All of, and it's for us to look forward to his kingdom coming on earth, just like Andrew shared a little bit a while ago. So communion isn't just about all oh, Let's remember back. It is a past, a present, and a future thing. It reminds us that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And so ready or not, church, he's coming. I pray that you're living ready. I pray that you would do everything in your power by the grace of God to be a faithful and wise servant, ready for the master's return, that when he comes, he would say, blessed are you. Let me pull up my tunic, let me tie it around me